Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley here for the weekly Talk and Footy episode. In 2023, we're up to Talk and Footy episode number 13. Time does fly when you're having fun. Rugby league is a lot of fun, so I love to talk about it. If you do like to talk about Supercoach, make sure you tune into the uh, Wednesday Supercoach episodes. We record those on a Tuesday, drop every Wednesday. This week was a cracker with Billy on there talking about this week's big buy around for Supercoach, but for the footy, this is a podcast podcast episode to be at. Got Perso on board this week. It's been a couple of weeks for Perso. I had a great one with Jamie Sauer last week, focusing on NRLW and the launch of that. But, geez, how things change. We're right back onto the men's side of things with all the developments and news this week, aren't we, Perso? Never a dull moment in the NRL, isn't it? All lightning. Crazy. Well, look, I am going to spare you this round. I have to say, I'll, I'll, I'll say it in the intro, the Tigers. You know, I'll, I'll spare you a little bit. We're not going to talk about what they're going to do and all the back office stuff and everything else. So you can kind of half get out of that one. Yeah, another outstanding performance from the Morty Tigers, wasn't it? Third, um, third biggest losing margin in the history of rugby league. It was fantastic. At least the Bulldogs tried to um, tried to stay with us the following day. It's something out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a great segue, so well done. We get to go straight into the first segment, which is a review of the NRL Round 18 results. And look, we do need to start off with the uh, Sharkies and the Dragons. That was another thrashing last week. There was a lot of uneven scorelines last round. Uh, I think that everybody pretty much expected the Sharkies to carve up the Dragons, and that's exactly what happened. 52 to 16. I mean, it could have been worse than that, the way, you know, I, I think we were going into that game. The Dragons actually scored first. Uh, they scored in the 20th minute as well. Eerily similar, per se, to the week before when the Dragons got trounced. You know, the, up until the 25th minute, they were actually winning. And then all of a sudden, they just dropped their bundle completely. Um, and the opposition clicked into gear, and they let up a lot of points. This is pretty similar. Uh, obviously, all the stars for the Sharks starred. Nico was outstanding again with three tries, his three line breaks, his line break try himself. But some of the, I think the takeaway for this one and the talking point is some of the efforts to me were just awful. Like they started off with a couple of really good efforts. Michaeli Ravalawa to score the first try. That was a tremendous effort from him. But then you saw things like the the try that Nico Hines scored, which was pretty early on. His try was like, you could see he was out the back and you knew that he was obviously going to get the ball. <laughs> and it was clear as day, like there was a massive hole there, but you know you could see it from the minute the ball was played. So it was there for a long time for the defensive line to see. Not one player went for Nico Hines as he came around of the back of Moylan and just ran at the hole. Like not one player was even marking him. And it was just lazy. It was really poor. 
bad footy IQ, but you have to just think that it's just players without their minds where they should be playing footy and just not putting in or not concentrating or something because that's a play that shouldn't have come off as easily as it did. That was one example. The other example is you hate to keep bashing on Ben Hunt because he has been a great bloke in the past and stuff for the way he's presented himself and everything else. And he's a fantastic player, but geez, he's really putting himself in a tough place here to like him when I don't think it went down very well with everything that he said as it was. And we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago, but he, he ran the ball once in that game. He had that really poor starfish defensive play where, you know, you expect kids to do that sort of stuff. It just, it wasn't good from him either. And I have to just sort of think, you know, where are the Dragons headed after this? Oh, heading for the battle for the spoon, aren't they, with the other two sides? So I think it's, it tends to happen this time of year. You can see that was the, the effort areas were missing. Sides that no, they can't make the eight. They just tend to drop off from you. That's the uh, the Bulldogs, the Tigers and the Dragons. They're the three sides that are definitely gone. And I don't think that's going to be the end of the big scores put on them somehow. Yeah, pretty bad. And one of the interesting numbers on that was they only had 35 missed tackles, which isn't good, but it's not horrific margins. We've had a team approach 60 missed tackles this year. You know, the Sharks had 21. Uh, but you look at the, those, those numbers and you sort of think, oh, well, the team maybe wasn't, you know, abysmal. But it was just... Even their completion rate wasn't horrendous at 75%. But... Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it really points to those effort areas and stuff and guys not, not really putting in that doesn't really come through on there. Um, I don't really know where they're going to go from here, but that was a, a good, I thought, shot in the bow for Cronulla to say that they're still here, they're still relevant, they're still sticking in there. Obviously, they need to beat some top eight teams, but I did like what I saw from Cronulla to give them credit as well, clicking back into gear. Yeah, definitely. Um, this week they should rack up another number of the Tigers. So they've got a fairly friendly draw leading into the final. So I'll be surprised if they don't finish top four, to be honest. Yeah, that, and that's a good uh, point as well with them. One of the interesting things I've kind of thought, because obviously everyone knows you know, they've got a poor record against top eight sides. And I sort of looked at that and I agreed with it. And You can't disagree with the amount of losses they've racked up against the top eight sides. But then I sort of looked at it and went, well, they, they haven't played the last two seasons, that many top eight side games, it's actually a reasonably small sample size and below average when you compare it to other teams. So obviously their draw has been favourable. There's two things there with that person when you kind of analyse it a little bit. One is maybe you know, it's it's a little bit unfair because they haven't actually played that many games when you have a look at it. They haven't also gotten teams like maybe the Storm and Penrith and so forth when they've been anything but below full strength a lot of the time. But the other thing too is that I'd like to ask you, you know, do you think that these type of draws, like they've got the Dragons this week and then they hit the Tigers next week, do you think it's maybe not doing them any favours? Because they know that they can beat up these teams. Maybe they would have been better off having to play more of these top eight sides, maybe with a South draw for the first 12 weeks or something, as opposed to an easy one. Do you reckon it's actually hurt them? Yeah, I think it sort of does. It's a, they had a similar draw last year when they came to the finals. They sort of shifted the bed to, in one aspect. Uh, it would be a good test for them around 22 and around 23 when they play the Panthers and the Rabbitohs away two weeks in a row to see where the Sharks are at leading into the finals this year. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really good lead-in for them. I, I think that'll help them out having some tougher games. Uh, the next game was South smashing the Warriors 28-6. has to be said, like absolutely horrendous conditions. Um, and we sort of thought that it was going to be raining, but geez, it was old school you know, mud in the middle of the mud in the middle of the field conditions that you don't get to see too often. Although it sounds pretty impressive. Cody Walker was quite good. 
and obviously won the Origin recall, which we're going to talk about a bit later. But the Warriors just couldn't find any points after the 17th minute. They really they didn't score at all, and they didn't look too troubling. Amazing stats in this one, though, Perso. The Rabbitohs completed at 92%, only three incomplete sets in that terrible conditions over in New Zealand. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, that was the difference in the end, really, wasn't it? That's outstanding, and that was a good old-fashioned quagmire, which you thought might have sort of helped the um, the big Warriors middle forwards, but South, just to their credit, they didn't really look like losing that game. And the yeah, Warriors couldn't hang on to the ball either and didn't really look like scoring points. So that was a bit of a bounce back for South. One that they definitely needed as well. Test is going to be for them in the coming weeks how this origin toll is going to take, but you know the fact that they've... Managed to get that type of win in, in New Zealand, which I don't think many people expected, is really going to help them. Even just that one win really helps them sort of hold the fort until the troll comes back and Origin passes by. Good. But speaking about a couple of or, uh, Origin-filled sides and powerhouses, the Storm and the Panthers, uh, this one, really odd one, wasn't it? Like you, you talk about the tail of two halves, but um, geez, the, the tail of the first 26 minutes was just Melbourne were on fire. They were all all over them and they were really up for it. And it was down in Melbourne, so you just sort of thought after 26 minutes, being up 14-0, you just sort of thought, well, like with the attitude that Melbourne is showing here down in Melbourne, they're going to go on with this. Like Penrith, no Cleary, they're they're just not going to get this one. And then Penrith just went on a blitz themselves uh, to basically even scores by halfway through the game. Uh, And then all of a sudden came out of the gates and just smacked them. Uh, Targo, I thought, was outstanding. Yeah, he's been really impressive since he came back from injury about three or four weeks ago. Outstanding in that game. It's definitely the tail of two hours. Storm's position and um, completion rate in the second half killed him. And Penrith just dominated off the back of that. Obviously, Cleary's going to make a huge difference. Um, I, but Which they think he'll be due back next game, won't they, from what I was reading? Yeah, so they're, like, they're fortunate they got the bye this week and then potentially in the next game he's going to be back. But, I mean, what does this say about where the Storm are at? Because you know, down in down in Melbourne, playing without Cleary, Clearyless Penrith, and they had a full side. Um, Munster was back. They obviously don't have Pat, but they haven't had him all year. That's that's one that sort of got away for them. But I kind of felt like that they just couldn't stop the Penrith momentum. And to me, it was a little bit puzzling because uh, without Cleary, you just sort of look at it and go, well. The Penrith side has sort of struggled to score points all year in spits and spurts, even with Cleary, and they put on 34 pretty easily against Melbourne. So I really can't get a gauge, per se, on where Melbourne are at. Like I said at the start, I really liked Roosters and and South's grand final, and I've taken the Roosters off that board months ago. But South's are just sitting there. Penrith have done what they've done. And I did think that the Storm would be up there, but you just you keep seeing these games from them where you, I just feel really uneasy putting them up as these, you know, premiership contenders. They've been like that all season, haven't they, Barnsley? Every time you sort of think they might have turned a corner and starting to look the goods again, then they, they, they're just putting some unstorm-like performances, even mid-game. Like, as you said, they were all over them for the first 25, 30 minutes of that game. And then bang, 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 the Panthers scored three tries and never looked like turning back from there. So... It's hard to put them up at the same level as, say, the Panthers. At the moment, I think they're still the clear favourites. And there's a couple of sides coming, flying back up the ladder that are in a pretty good form at the moment too. But it's hard to see where the Storm are, I agree. Yeah, interesting few weeks coming post-Origin to see if they can get uh, some consistency together for the Storm. Having play out of Marvel Stadium now, not Amy Park, we'll see if that makes any difference at all. We are going to leave the Sofa Solomona tribe first, so 
because that's going to be part of the spray of the week later on. So this next game was the Raiders and, and the Titans, where we're going to leave that game. Let's just leave the Fafita and the Nats tries until later. Okay, we'll talk about them later because I don't want to <laughs> get rid of my gunpowder just yet. Uh, the Cowboys and the uh, Tigers, we, ha- we have to talk about it again. 74 nil. I was actually at a poker night and I'd probably had six drinks before it even kicked off. And uh, I was just, I thought I thought that I was too drunk to see the score half the time because it was just racking up that quickly. And, you know, drink water, five tries, <laughs> it just two tries himself. It, he just carved them up. It was unbelievable. And we spoke about it in the weeks before in the Supercoach episodes on the Inner All-Stars podcast, but also uh, in all the Talking Footy episodes. And, and Jamie Sound last week was talking about how, you know, well, drink water's been going for them and how he's the centre of their attack. It's uh, it's just crazy how much they carved the Tigers up, though, and the amount of effort or lack of effort that was there from the Tigers. A first-grade team, to me, shouldn't be able to be be losing by 74 points. And, you know, like you mentioned, the records, that shows that it just doesn't happen. I thought Dearden was outstanding as well, but how much of this was the Cowboys are on fire to just, Tigers, what are you doing? Yeah, a little from column A, a little from column B. The first 15 minutes, the Tigers are sort of hanging on. Uh, the commentators were saying it, but they're in it. And I was looking at them going, they looked gassed after 15 minutes, and it was only a matter of time. Once they scored, that was it. Floodgates opened. Didn't carve them up. Drink water was untouchable. That uh, just shows where the Tigers are. They broke it. Didn't they? We just put that left foot step and left Noffel Lerma standing there like a <laughs> like a spud. It sort of shows. I think he's a bit past it now. And this Tigers edge defence had no answer. But you've got a decent middle forward pack, and you're still getting flogged by 74 to nil. So I don't know what the answer is there. No, it's sort of it's one of those games too where it's a bit unhappy for some of the young guys that have been going well. You know, although you could look at it that someone like Jareem Buller needs some of these games as a bit of a reminder uh, to keep working and stuff. He had he had five missed tackles, a few errors, and generally wasn't you know great. But neither were any of the Tigers. Uh, it's I I sort of agree with you. It was a bit from column A, a bit from column B, but. The attitudes of the Tigers have to change if they're going to not get flogged by a lot of other teams coming up. They've obviously got the Sharks this week. Can't have a 53% completion rate and not take care of the football, have 16 errors and miss 54 tackles against anyone. Like they could do that against my non-top eight roosters in 13th spot. <laughs> they're probably going to get a good score put on them. So there's a lot there to fix without looking at Yeah, it. they do that against the Bulldogs. <laughs> they'll get touched up. Yeah. I don't know whether it's just one of those weeks or not. We'll soon see this week with the Sharks. They've got a pretty um, work cut out for them this week. The Sharks aren't really missing anyone. So I can see another massive score coming if the Cowboys put 74 on mm-hmm. the Sharks. Interesting there. times for the Tigers. Massive attitude turnaround in a week. Well, we had the local derby, the new one, the Broncos and the Dolphins play. And that didn't disappoint as far as the scoreline. Nice close one, 24 to 16. Uh, and these two teams have built something up here, Per, so it's quite nice to see. Uh, they had reasonable completion rates. Uh, they, there was a lot of missed tackles, though, and that's probably something that mars it. You sort of see it 24-16, you're like, oh, that's good. Like, you like to see the Dolphins be competitive because they've copped a couple of big score lines playing against Brisbane. Brisbane didn't have Walsh, but at the same time, played at the Gabba, which is nice to see. Good to see a Gabba game pop up. But then you look at the missed tackles, 36 from Brisbane and 51 from the Dolphins. Uh, it was... A close game. It might have lacked a little bit of quality in areas, though. Yeah, it was entertaining, though, wasn't it? It was um, right down to the wire, really, to those last couple of Cobo tries late in the game there. 
uh, the, the, to the Dolphins' credit, they've sort of turned their recent form around a bit. It was uh, yeah, definitely a new sort of battle of Brisbane going on there. And Cobo got his origin jersey back. He was good in that. And, uh, you know, def- there was some other young guys too that were pretty good. I have to say, like, we're going to talk about the origin teams next. But some journalists in particular talked about containing stags. And, like, gee, I-, I was saying to people the other day, I don't know how you're talking about Katoni Staggs when the bloke playing centre on the other side of the field has been 10 times as good as him. <laughs> you yeah. know, like this. Farnworth had two tries, two line breaks, eight tackle breaks, zero errors, zero, zero penalties. And I mean, look, Staggs did a couple of nice touches and things as well. But Farnworth just is, is far and away better defensively. And even in attack now, he's developed his game where the last couple of years where people talk about Staggs. So Farnworth, Farnworth is better and he's in his own team. You know, why does Stags keep getting talked about like this? You saw it again. Farnworth, I think, you know, you. some people think this is a bit of a myth per se, but even when you're playing like other sport that's not professional and stuff, if you're playing a team that you've either left or you know you're going to play with the next season, you always got a little bit of extra in you. There's always a bit of extra chat and stuff and everything. Farnworth had that and you so you love that attitude and he really put in because he's going to the Dolphins next year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, to Blorna, especially in that first half. Uh, far more dominant than Stags is, but suppose we'll leave the Stags talk for the state of origin selections. Well, it's going to be short talk, that's for sure, for Katoni. But, you know, <laughs> 66 nil. talk about short. Canterbury couldn't get a try on the board. Uh, this was, I don't want to say the same as the Tigers probably game worse. against the Cows, but it's pretty close. Like, it was just... The class players for Newcastle just absolutely ran right. Caleb Ponga, like three try assists, two line breaks, untouchable, nine tackle breaks himself. Bradman Best absolutely killed them, looked like a superstar. Uh, but talking about average players that look like superstars, Fitzgibbon had the game of his life. He thought he was playing under 16s again. It was just unbelievable, some of the performances. And even from the first try, I just sort of thought, oh, the dogs are in real trouble here because Hastings has just run at the line, thrown a dummy and run through a gap that's big enough for five car park spots. It was just crazy how easy that was. So from that first first try, I thought the dogs are in big trouble here and it just kept on going and nobody really stemmed the bleeding, especially on that right-hand side. Newcastle rightly just kept targeting it and it just kept giving up tries. It's puzzling with that rod. It's... Um, Serraldo actually swapped Alamotti on edges to the right hand side in that game. So he had Caleb Raja starting his first game at six on the right with next to Alamotti who's playing his first game this year on the right with Ockham Boy. They just got carved to pieces on it. Raja had got lynched at one point, but yeah, I don't know. That was a bizarre one for me. But they just absolutely, every time they got the ball, as you said, Fitzgibbon looked like he was going funnel webs. He was going to carve up every single time he got the ball. Surprise Fitzgibbon didn't get a blues jumper, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that missed 63 tackles. I think that's up there with around the highest that we've had in a single game this year. So you know, that's it's terrible defence from a coach who I do believe in and I do think is a very good defensive coach. He was part of the defensive schemes that Penrith had. And you know, I, I don't bring it too much with Seraldo, but you know, at the same time, it must be taking a toll on him and that can affect him going forward a bit. Yeah, I think they're just written off this season now. Yeah. I mean, they have had a fair few injuries at Bulldogs this season in their defence, but that doesn't excuse a performance like that. No, and look, largely they have gone to the recruitment well and brought a lot of these players in, uh, and they haven't 
really performed. So it's, I do expect to bounce back this week though, and that's probably the difference between this and the Tigers game. I I don't think the Tigers can bounce back really, whereas I think the Bulldogs, with probably you know you could argue a lesser roster in some ways, certainly in the Ford pack, I do think the Dogs can bounce back. That might be the difference between the two games, perhaps because guys like Burton uh, and some of these other players playing an understrength South team, I actually think that they can actually upset South with the side that's been named, and that could be a bit of a confidence boost. And if they're up for it, like they should be able to beat South this week based on everything, even though they're the underdogs. So yeah, that's probably the difference between this game and the other flogging in the round. Yeah, I don't, I can't see where the Tigers are ever going to bounce back this season. <laughs> Especially, <laughs> especially with Chorus out, and Brooks is out too. But um, yeah, it's looking pretty long for them now. Oh, I still think South might have enough, but if, that's, if the dogs can't beat South this week, then yeah, you can put them in the same boat, really. At least put in a good performance. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, as a Tigers fan yourself, like that's all you really want this week, wouldn't you? After last week, you know the season's over. The dogs will be the same. You just want them to go in and put in a good performance, right? And put in the effort. That's it. It's all about the effort now. Manly 18, Roosters 16. Absolute heartbreaker as a Roosters fan. Um, and this Pretty good game of footy. It was a good game of footy. You know, and I've, I was saying to a couple of mates of mine, you know, I've, all the losses that the Roosters have accumulated this year, which has been many, I didn't think that we deserved to win any of them. So it was like I was angry with the team. I was upset with the result, but I, I didn't think we deserved any more than what we got. And then this game, I was like, well, that's the best game we've played all year. Like, we actually deserve to win that. I thought we were the better side. Have I got my Roosters glasses on here, Perso, or did you sort of say a bit of that in there? <laughs> oh, I thought it was pretty even. Um, Merely actually performed a lot better than I thought they would without Turbo. It was a really good performance. But, yeah, the Roosters is probably the best effort they put in in several weeks, that's for sure. And um, they were, looked like they were going to snatch it there for a fair bit of the last 10 minutes, but Merely hung on. Yeah, I was I, I was really pleased with the, some of the spine players for the Roosters. So, I mean, Tedesco has been much maligned, obviously, but he had a, a good line break try, some really good involvements, and had six tackle breaks, a couple of offloads, but he didn't miss any tackles. Had a couple of errors, but like one of them was when he was forcing it towards the end of that game when there was no time left and stuff. And Joey Manu stepped up again, and he's had a good couple of weeks. I, 13 tackle breaks is massive, but he just did a bit of everything. I tend to think that he started the season pretty underdone and we're seeing the last few weeks a healthy Manu, which is good. Uh, and Sandon Smith keeps on doing his job there. Um, and Kiri, whilst he didn't have a huge impact on the weekend, has at least been solid enough in his lesser games. So I was, I was pretty pleased with the spine of the Roosters. Um, Daly Cherry Evans obviously orchestrated a fair bit, got a couple of tries himself. And like you said, Manly were a lot more competitive than what I thought they would be. It was a real arm wrestle. So, you know, it would be one of those ones where I think either side could have won and whichever side won would have got a bit of a shot in the arm to really push for the eight. Whereas the side, whichever side ended up losing this one, it was really going to be pretty deflating, wasn't it? And really going to be a bit of a initial nail in that coffin of being able to make the top eight this year. And it just happened that Manly's going to get the boost and the Roosters are going to be on life support. Yeah, it's sort of, they really got to start stringing some wins together now, the Roosters. Uh, I think Jake Javoy, which makes a massive difference to that family side's effort areas too. They just seem to play a lot better when he's there, barking at them all day long. It's, um, it's such a tight comp at the moment. You can't sort of rule anyone out apart from the bottom three. 
slipping in the eight. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that probably we'll see in the next couple of weeks. We'll see some some teams put to the sword again um, and be out of the eight for the season. But the Roosters, like you said, they're going to have to string some wins together. Manly get a little bit of a reprieve, uh, and it was a good win for them at Four Pines without Turbo. It was a, it was an entertaining game. It wasn't a game without you know a lot of errors. They had ten errors each, and Roosters did miss forty six tackles. Manly missed thirty four. So it wasn't the... it was pretty even across the board, really. Yeah, certainly was. Going. So even with Manly having that win, they're still three points out of the eight. That's really Manly, Dolphins, and Roosters. They got to, and the Knights. I suppose they're still in the, as well. Three points. They've really got to start stringing three or four wins together to get back up, sort of pushing around that eight spot. Yeah, and they've obviously got like the the, the Cowboys in ninth and the Gold Coast Titans in tenth um, in front of them, and the the Cowboys look like they're going to keep going on, um, especially based on the confidence they're going to get from last week. And you look at that that top eight, and you sort of go, well, you know, I mean, people thought the Warriors were a, a contender. I'm not going to say that they're not, but they've dropped all the way down to eighth themselves, uh, and they're not going to have Sean Johnson this week. And even South Sydney, like I, I still think that they're in the grand final, but they're they're in seventh. Yeah, it's pretty tight. But you got the, the Cowboys have refound their form again, and they're sitting ninth. So Warriors are in all kinds of trouble to hang on eighth now. Yeah, another loss for the Warriors this week won't be great. Um, Playing para without a lot of, well, the main origin stars being Gutho and Moses for them is going to really hurt them. But at the same time, they might not have Sean Johnson at the moment. And that's going to be a hard travel without Sean Johnson Johnson to Combank Stadium. And Eels sitting six, Rabbitohs sitting seventh, the Warriors eighth on 22. The Eels and the Rabbitohs have still got two boys up there. And so. That's a really good point, too, mate. Yeah. Jeez. And people whinge about um, having the buys later. I tell you what, it's going to really help us. Parramatta um, uh, helps helps Sydney. Well, Parramatta's got one left. Yeah, Parramatta's got one left. South's still got two, and the Cowboys and North have still got two as well. So yeah, Parramatta's actually got the um, the buy in the last round of the season, which is quite useful because you get a you get a break before the final start. Yeah, uh, but you also like if you if they go in needing that win, whether it's for top four or, or top eight, they've already got it banked. It's already there. So uh, it's quite interesting how that works out. Yeah, they didn't get a buy for a long time, but that one in the last round is certainly going to be handy for them. Well, we are going to need to talk origin teams. It is game three coming up, and it is the first Sydney game. Finally, we get a game in New South Wales. And before I do, I do need to mention the great partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Picklebet.com, go jump on there now. You can use a referral uh, affiliate code to sign up when you make an account. All stars or one word. When you do that, what it does, make sure that they know that you've come over from the podcast and they'll take great care of you as one of the podcast listeners. So make sure you sign up with the promo affiliate referral code All Stars. Got a special every week for the NRL All Stars podcast. And one we put together this week, people will say, Barnsey, you're crazy. Look, I'm looking for I'm looking for decent odds when you can get almost five to one on your money. Thirteen plus for the Sharkies. The Raiders are gonna are gonna win, and then the big one in the three game multi, we've got the Bulldogs to win, and that was the value mm. one that pushed us out to to almost five dollars, four dollars sixty five. You get for it, so I don't mind that one. You only need three results to go your way, and geez, the Sharkies have got to be morals, and uh, and the Raiders have got to be morals just about as well the way the Dragons played. So I uh, I really like those couple just to. Being already basically, you just need that dog's upset and you're going to get some good odds on it. So, you can find that one under the Sharks game. If you go to the Sharks specials, you'll see that NRL All Stars podcast 
three-team multi, and that's on there now. But go and check them out with their racing as well. Picklebet's racing and also their e-gaming, which they specialise in, are great. And they've got so many markets now. The same game multis that you can put on now and everything else have all been added even more and more the last month. Fantastic. So if you like a bet, go and jump on Picklebet today. Also remember, is this a bet that you want to place? For free and confidential support, you can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Origin Game 3, per se. Why don't you kick us off? What did you think of the team selections? Uh, Queensland picks itself, basically. There's nothing really too much controversy there. New South Wales, probably a better-looking side. The bench is the interesting part for me, though. Um, yeah, that bench of Yo, Saifidi, Robson and Gutherson, interesting. I don't know, what's Gutherson just going to sit there and case there's an injury again? Same as Hines did in Game 1. Well, the, the, the most talking point, obviously, it's centre at Bradman Best, but there's a lot of guys ahead at the moment, so it's not as controversial as what the media's making it out to be, really. I mean, who's he beaten? Talk about Stags, which, I, he, yeah, he's not banging the door down. I think Jesse Ramian's probably the only other one that might have put his hand up, or the Talakai, maybe, but I don't mind the best selection myself. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like the media to trump things up and sensationalise some propaganda, is it? I mean, <laughs> I think that they've definitely um, made more about it than what it is. And unfortunately, you know, when you're down 0-2 in a series, Origin fans tend to just go with it because they're out for blood anyway. And I think that's probably a lot of it. I do agree with you. I think it's a really good-looking side on paper for the starters. I I look at it and go, I think that, We've actually named a really strong forward pack. I would have liked to have seen Murray, Kalamatangi and Martin there from day dot. And I think that we might have gotten closer to that had we not have had some injuries and different things happen. Yeah, that was the problem. Kalamatangi was injured game one. Yeah, they were worried about Murray's groin, which actually seems better now. So um, perhaps that helps. I, I actually really like Isaiah Yo on the bench. Um, I I wasn't of that mindset a couple of years ago. I thought that he had to be the 13. Uh, but now I just, I, I've mentioned it before. I think that he's gotten, when people mentioned, oh, he could have filled in in game one at centre, you know, I, I just think he's gotten so much slower and so much bigger that he's more, he's more apt at filling in at prop than what he is at centre. And he's never played prop before. But, you know, it's almost like the transition to me of Jake Trevojevic, you know, where he became a, a prop at origin level. I think Yo can come off the bench and do that quite well. Uh, and I, 100%. I do like his, even though I say he's slow, you know, for, as far as props go, he's pretty fast through the middle. And he's got that leg speed and that nous and that IQ where he can create some problems a lot more than some of the other big bulging props that you're going to get through. So well, I don't I don't mind that move of having him off the bench. And he's also got some slight versatility as well. Uh, as far as the rest of the bench, though, you're right. Like it, it does like size. Jacob Saifidi. I think, like in a in a vacuum, I, I can look at that and go, "Geez, that's how's he playing Origin the same as Stefano?" But again, you always need to balance that with, "Well, who would I put in instead?" And it's like, "Well, look, you got to drop guys like like Barlow now. Like Junior Barlow's had years; he hasn't been that effective, and we basically picked him out of necessity because we've had no other front rowers. Payne Haas is out. You, you got to pick a big fella, and there isn't any." Like New South Wales really don't have any. And when you start talking about the other names per se, it's like, well, all these guys are at 
that sort of level anyway, where you're not really going to be happy with them, but you've got to put someone in, right? Yeah, and Sai Ferdi came in game three last year and was a controversial pick and he had a blinder, so I don't have too much of a drama with him being a 30-minute prop off the bench. Now, you mentioned Gutherson, and I have to say, like, I basically need to quote Freddie with this because this is one of the reasons why I love Clint Gutherson. Like, Freddie was asked about it, and he said um, he's got the versatility to play everywhere, obviously, and that's one of the things. Like, he really can. Um, but, you know, the old cliche, oh, he's, he's a footballer. You know, I know some people hate that cliche, but he really is. Like, he he's almost a positionless player to me. And he's played centres before. He's played in the hearts before. He's, he obviously is a fullback now, doing very well. But how he plays the game, he's just playing footy out there. And one of the quotes from Freddie was, Gutho, Gutho has been arguably one of the best players for the last month of football, which I agree with. He's been absolutely on fire. So yeah, he's in argue. form. And even more than that, he's just, so, he's just so great to have in camp. He's a breath of fresh air to have there. He puts 100% in absolutely everything. He just is always trying and always fighting. And that's just so great and refreshing to have in the team. We need some of those guys. I thought that was really telling, very honest of Freddie. But also, you know, it's how I always see Gutho for Parramatta. So I can really get that. Like he is that sort of player where I think he just adds so much in so many different ways. And I'm really, I'm happy for him to get in because I think his form's been there. But I can also see where some of that quote from Freddie is actually coming from too. Oh, definitely. It's just uh, without injury, it's hard to see how he's going to get too many minutes. But um, well, you could throw him in in the back row for 15 minutes, couldn't you? He's that sort of player. He'll do a job for you. He, but as you see, he covers everywhere. So definitely handy to have. Just sort of, you just sort of, but having said that, I suppose you've got Yo, who obviously can play 80 minutes coming off the bench. Trevojevic will play massive minutes at prop. He could play 80. Murray can play 80. So they're not really needing three middle forwards on the bench to come on and. Um, relieve guys, are they? So you could probably afford to carry a Gutherson. Yeah, and I, I would prefer to have more size. Like, I don't want people to get me wrong. Like, you know, if Payne Haas is there, you know, you, you've basically got that size. No, different story, but he's out, so. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'd rather I'd rather us go with this sort of bench than pick any more guys, and no disrespect to Jacob Saifidi, but on like a Saifidi level. Like you can deal with, you know, one bolter like a Saifidi that's, probably the best available. But if you had Saifidi and Stefano both on the bench, you know, and that's sort of what you're kind of looking at, you can't, I can't deal with that. I'd rather just have someone else that's a better player. And I think that that's what they've gone for. So I, I normally would say, yeah, look, we need more size there. But when you have a look at what's available and stuff, the other point that I'll make with it too is that Kieran Kalamatangi is, is very much a middle forward as well. He's as big as the other probs and he can very much be a middle forward and he's playing on the edge there. Uh, Liam Martin as well. He's not that big, but how he plays, it's very much a power game. And he does go out there and belt everyone, which he's tried to do for the first two games very admirably. So I I think that we have the luxury of having back rowers that can not just play middle, but they also provide you the the defensive punch and things that you want from those bigger boppers. So that maybe helps us out a little bit too. Yeah, it's a lot more mobile of a pack, which is what we were sort of talking about before Origin 1 that we sort of needed to go, so I quite like it. Um, you think there's any chance Lenu will slot into 17 and Gutho will, will miss out? Uh, there's possibly a chance. Um, oh, I think, to me, the Gutherson pick, it, it can go one of two ways. It's He's he's picked there to be what Nico Hines was meant to be the first game. 
Um, but arguably, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more recent versatility with how Gutho's played. Or uh, he is going to get on and he is going to be used and Freddie is going to go all out blitz on attack. And there was a few quotes, things like um, why Luai was dropped, which we'll get to in a minute, which basically said, we need to attack, we need to score points, we haven't been scoring and we need to be scoring a lot of tries. And if he really wants to go down that route, uh, Clint Gutherson going in, and just doing what Kalen Ponga did to New South Wales, you know. Yeah, just sniffing around the middle, coming on as a 13. Yeah, you, you don't even have to give him, like, everyone packs everywhere anyway in a scrum. You don't even have to give him a position. Just so yeah. you're, you're playing in the forwards, just go out there and play footy gutho. And whoever he comes on for, it doesn't really matter. And if you do that, oh, like I'm, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nepotism and pessimism and a lot of hatred towards New South Wales camp from some of their own fans at the moment. Like you've I'll always support them. I always want them to win. I always want them to go well, regardless of everything or how much I hate the team or anything else. I don't care. I want them to win. And I, I like, you've got to find positives per se when the series is over. And one of them is I'd love to see them go for that type of game plan. Like just go out there, play footy, go and attack, throw Gutherson on for 40 minutes in an origin game and just go for it. And I think that that's – I'm leaning towards that being what happens. Yeah, I think so too. I reckon you'll see Robson and Cook on the field at the same time for a period as well. That's what I'm hoping anyway. It just really goes direct straight up the middle around the ruck and follow Queensland forwards late in halves. That's always where we've seen to be able to pick up our, <laughs> pick up our meters and then get the tries off the back of it. They just haven't played that way at all. The first two games have just been so lateral. I'd love to see them playing that sort of game, just attack, attack, attack up the middle, the way they did a couple of years ago with Troy Rich and Mitchell and Teddy. So you, you mentioned best, and I kind of feel the same as you. Um, can I just say, I don't remember if it was Brent Reid or Crawley. I think it was Paul, I think it was Crawley. Uh, for the Telegraph that said, oh, I think Brad Fittler forgot Katoni Staggs' phone number. Can we just say straight out, Katoni Staggs has not played good football this year. He didn't play good football last year, and he's been a flash-in-the-pan player since he has made his State of Origin debut. Now, I don't want to be too disrespectful to Katoni Staggs. He is a good NRL player. You know, you'd like to have him signed in your team. But honestly, I don't understand. I've brought it up before how there's some absolute media darlings where you can go five years and not really do anything. And it's almost manufactured stories about how you've been performing. That's sort of Katoni Staggs the last couple of years. It's unfair on him because he's not doing anything for this to happen, but how Paul Crawley and some other journalists can think that he even should be considered is unbelievable. Like Bradman best. I agree per se was only, you know, he had one blinder on the weekend, but he's actually had, four or five other games where he has played very, very well. And if you look at the numbers, his numbers absolutely double or more everything that Katoni Staggs has done as far as attack goes. Whether you want to look at tries or try assist, line break assist, everything else, he he's blitzed Katoni Staggs in all the categories if you want to look at statistical reasons why best is better. But even on the eye test, he's been far better. Now, I don't love picking best like you, but it, there's just some silly arguments out there and I don't understand anyone else other than Matt Burton, I would have picked Matt Burton. I think it's a mistake not to pick Matt Burton. Having said that, to me, people are focusing on them getting drilled 66-0 on the weekend. I mean, they had a bye the week before, and they got drilled the week before that by the Sharks by 50 points or whatever. You know, there's been a couple of big drillings for the Bulldogs, and Burton has been down for about a month now. So, you know, that leading in is more than just one game. So whilst I still would have picked Burton... So he's the only one. If you, if I take Burton out of, the, out of everything and have to pick from what's left, 
I don't even think of Katoni Stags myself. No, not at all. As I said before, I would have thought of Ramian before Katoni Stags. You've got to remember that Graham's injured as well. So is Trevojevic, so is Mitchell. So, it's, uh, yeah, Katoni Stags. I think Crawley um, wasn't really thinking when he said that. He also said this is a side that Freddie should have picked last time he's making those charges, which Roy, which was injured. Regan Campbell Gillard just had 20 minutes of football coming back from injury. You know, Tom Matangi hadn't been back for long. So there wasn't a lot of thought that went into those comments from Crawley the other night. And Cody Walker as well. He would have been in that squad in, in um, Origin 2, but his groin didn't get him through the fitness, so they didn't pick him. Mate, I was tearing my hair out watching that, that 360 with some of those guys <laughs> on there. Like, Oh, well, Cody Walker should have been there before. Like, you know, you don't bring him in in game three. They they would have brought him in in game two. Like, <laughs> he was there. Yeah. yeah. He got ruled out. Like, you can't, you can't start him. He's injured. It's, um, it was just, they, they do, they did have a crack on NRL 360 very much in the telly as well and on Fox Sports online and everything else about Freddie saying that there's some, a few agendas being driven and stuff. I, I don't know how they think that it's it's just out of nowhere that Freddie's feeling that when they make these comments that just have absolutely no foundation whatsoever and some of them are just silly. Like it, some of these players, like you said, oh, this should have been the side we had before. Really good point from Perso. Most of these guys are all hurt. Like we would have had this side before. Uh, and that was a disappointing thing in this series. I would have really liked to have seen what we would have done if we didn't have this mountain of injuries everywhere and – I understand Queensland fans will be laughing at that. Look, I'm not taking it away from you. You, you deserve to well, win. Well, they've still been the better side. Don't get wrong. <laughs> been way better. But, I mean, look, guys like Trevojevic and Latrell Mitchell make a big difference. Those guys are match winners. And then you get everybody else on there. You know, we're not playing guys like Bradman Best or Jacob Saifidi because we want to. We're playing because they're the best guys that we have available because these other guys are out. Yeah, exactly. How, how did you feel about the, the halves? That's the other thing. That, oh, I think Moses was always going to stay there, and that was good. I don't think it's anywhere near as controversial again as they're trying to make out that there's a rift between Fittler and Hines and all this sort of garbage. Um, you couldn't knock the Moses selection for game two. He's been scintillating form. He didn't play badly in game two, so what are you going to just play roulette with your halves and drop them? Like, they're both right-edge players. Hines will get his opportunity in the future. It just wasn't to be with the balance of the side. I don't see the massive, massive problem with it. Obviously, they were never going to pick him at 5'8". We both thought at the first it should have been Cleary and Hines could play 5'8". But um, they've gone down the, they went down the Panthers' path and, and you, know, you can't really knock Cody Walker's form. He's been outstanding and he's a left-edge dominant player. So he should have a good combination with Moses. So I don't really have a massive deal with Hines not being there. Not now. Not that it, like if you started the series there. That's but you're going to just chop and change every game. Like yeah, I think you've got to stick with Moses. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would have picked personally. I would have picked Hines at six for this game. That's what I would have done. But I also would have picked Hines at the start, and I would have been more adamant at the start. And I was more adamant. I want Hines starting. Um, but I'm slightly less adamant because I understand where they're coming from, and and that's one of the things. Like I think as fans and also as media. You need to kind of acknowledge, you know, it's not a my way or the highway. It's like, well, look, this is my preference. This is what I would have done. But if you can understand why the coach has done something, then at least it makes some sense and you can kind of roll with it. Now, I I wouldn't have picked Cody Walker. I would have picked Hines because I would have liked to have seen him get a game and see what we've got for next year. I think that the reason that we've got Cody Walker in, though, is one, because he has been the form six of the competition, even more so than what Munster has this year. He's been the best guy. He would have been there game two 
um, which, you know, would have been Luai out as well, but he couldn't because he was hurt. So Freddie stuck to his plan of having Cody Walker being the six, which he wanted to do before. Um, the other thing too is that with Cody Walker, people say it's a dead rubber and stuff and it doesn't matter. It's going to be pretty close to a rookie halves combination with Moses playing second game in the halves. Uh, well, yes, third game in the halves at origin level and Hines debuting at origin level in the halves. That's going to be a hard, hard ask to get a win out of that when you've got the other guys all debuting. So, I mean, I think that he's looking at it going, we need to win this game as well. And winning is important. And Freddie has brought that up. So I can understand why he's gone for someone like Cody and sort of said, well, maybe I'll have some conversations with Hines and get him ready for next year because we need this win. What's really the point of putting him in for one game? Now, again, I would have put Hines in, but I'm just assuming that that was Freddie's thinking from what he said. Yeah, Cody Walker would have a massive point to prove too after playing several years ago and being dropped. I think he'd be really up for this going. So how do you feel about Luai? Because for me, I have been pretty adamant from the start. I didn't want Luai picked. And this isn't against Luai. It's nothing about his how he is personally or anything or how he's acted or anything like that. But it's just that I brought up the fact that he can't kick. Uh, Cody Walker can kick. Nico Hines can very much kick. And also... He's not creating plays for anyone else. He's very much an individual guy, and we need guys that can create from the half spot um, at six to complement our seven. I think we've got that now with Walker and Moses, but a lot of people will probably think Luai is hard done by. I just think that he doesn't. He just doesn't fit the role in Origin as being one of the starting halves. So I, I really like that we've actually gone for this because it should give Moses some time to shine. Yeah, I was the same thing. You know, I didn't think Luai's club form warranted him getting selected at six over. Guys like Hines and Walker, but they uh, went that way in the first game. And then when Cleary got injured, I thought that was a riding on the wall then for Luai because he and then obviously would have been if Walker wasn't fit. So he got his opportunity again in game two and he just looked a bit lost without Cleary. As you said, he doesn't bring anything to the game as far as a kicking game goes. Take pressure off his other half. I've got no problem with him being dropped for Walker. I thought he was lucky to be there from the start. He didn't play too badly in game one, having said that. But, um, yeah, I thought his days were numbered. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. We are, I think if New South Wales are to be successful with this side, they're going to win with um, going all out attack, grading more points and some leg speed in the middle. And I think that we've got the team to do that. I think that Brad Fittler wants to do that. Uh, I'll finish off on New South Wales and we'll talk about Queensland by saying I think that Cook gave away a fair few things. And it's one of those things where... Again, you look at the media narratives like, you know, Cook was very adamant that Freddie needs to be there next year. Uh, and I'm not going to get into sack Freddie or not, but it's one of those things where the media goes, oh, well, of course he's going to say that that's the coach. But other times when it suits their agenda, they do tend to say, oh, look what this guy said, you know. And to me, you can throw it away and say, of course he's going to say that, and I say that all the time. But Cook could have just said, you know, we support Freddie. He's great. He, sh- he should be there next year. He he spoke for a number of minutes glowingly and in detail about why Freddie should be picked. And I think that's a big difference. And some of the things and the detail that he was saying was that they've had a really quite a good game plan, he thought. And the game plan hasn't been able to be executed by the players, basically. And he's gone in detail about that and detail about their training and their preparation and stuff. So he doesn't have to go into all that detail to just publicly support the coach. Um, and if he doesn't feel strongly about Freddie being there, I don't think that he does go into that sort of detail. But I was interested to hear that they've had a game plan that 
we haven't seen yet, basically, or that the players haven't been able to deliver as well. Yeah, I saw that interview as well. It was quite interesting. Because so, that's especially Cook, who wasn't the preferred number nine game one either. So for him to speak, Freddie, the, the players are obviously behind him. It's um, interesting to see how they come out this game. Hopefully it's totally different. Yeah, we might get changed next year. Um, we might not. And we'll wait and see and we'll have a big debate about that when it happens. But for now, we've got a game three to win New South Wales. So get behind your team playing in Sydney. And it's the only game you're going to get to see this. And apparently it's a it's a sellout already. So that's good news. Um, hopefully it's a nice send-off. But obviously the Maroons are going to want to spoil that and they're going to want to win 3-0 just as much as the Blues aren't going to want to get whitewashed. I, you know, you said that it's pretty simple ins for them and it is. But I have to say, geez, I'm happy for Corey Horsburgh. Corey Horsberg has been amazing this year, and I've always thought he had this in him. Per se, mean you were spoken about him being a bit of a throwback. We wanted to see him get the opportunity for years. I thought he could have been starting and doing this sort of stuff three years ago, and I would have liked to have seen that a bit more. But I'm so glad that Ricky gave that to him, and I'm so glad that the that uh, Billy Slater and the coaching staff of Queensland have acknowledged it by putting him in. I think he's going to be great, and I wish that we had a Corey Horsberg for New South Wales. Yeah, <laughs> I never said, Barnsley. Um, we'd be dying for a Corey Horsburgh at the moment. But his game has gone to another level this year. He's playing bigger minutes. He's got a, a bit more ball playing in him than previous seasons. His work rate is just ridiculous. So he thoroughly deserves his spot. And uh, with Flegler out, he was obviously the next man in. And I think he, he, Flegler will be doing well to get that spot back off him next year. I actually made a mistake when I'm going through those games on the weekend too. I, I said that Cobbo um, pretty much won his origin jersey back, but he didn't. Uh, I thought that he should have. That was one of the changes I would have made. I would have had Cobbo back in and um, and had Xavier Coates back out. I, I thought it was a bit strange that they didn't revert back to Cobbo. Yeah, not sure what slightest thing you know on that was because Cobbo was pretty good in game one too. He was injured for game two. So. Anyway, you must have just wanted to stay loyal to the side that won the last game, I guess. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, AJ Brimson is another change and that's at fullback for Walsh and I'm, I'll also say, like I said, I'm glad that Horsburgh got his opportunity, but I was also glad that there wasn't some sort of weird SOS to Kalen Ponga because fans were saying, oh, Kalen Ponga's got to come in now. And I was saying to everyone, hang on, Ponga ruled himself out for the series. He's not available. Oh, well, they should be giving him a call. And even people in the media keep singling in or 360, but I tell you what, geez, they've had some pearls the last few weeks. <laughs> I'll give Kalen Ponga a call. Why? You're up, you've won the series. You've got to be raising the shield anyway. Yeah. You're up 2-0. Yeah, it, it, this is a guy that ruled himself out for the series. He wants to come back next year. AJ Brimson's been waiting there. He's been 18th man. Of course it should be his jersey. Give the young guy a go. And obviously Slater saw that. I was just surprised at some of the the media and the fans that, that thought that Ponga needed an SOS. It was one all. Then maybe you pick up the phone and maybe even... you. you call Alfie over, if he was over in England, like that old <laughs> old style, and find some Queensland players over there, whatever you need to do to win. But you don't need to win this one. Like, you want to, and they want to go 3-0, but it's a perfect opportunity to put AJ Brimson in. He's been in really good form since he came back from injury, hit the ground running straight away, and he's shown so many flashes. I think Queenslanders should be excited to see him debut. Oh, for sure. Well, he played a game um, a couple of years ago and was, went really well, Brimson. So... Yeah, I should say, sorry to, to not disrespect him, to, to debut as the starting fullback in the starting side. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think you'll go fine. And uh, to Ponga's credit, he came out and nipped that in the bud pretty quickly, saying he's not even considering the game three. He said that 
he was out for the series when he meant it, and he's concentrating on the Knights, and to his credit, his form for the Knights has been pretty bloody good. So I think Brimson will do a good job. I was sort of glad that they they went for Brimson and didn't do something a bit quirky, like putting Munster back at fullback and starting Dearden at 5'8". I don't think Slater ever would have thought of that, but um, well, that was another one that they threw around in the media. Yeah, I thought that was a bit silly too. Again, you've got a ready-made fullback already there. Why? Why would you move people around and stuff like that? It's um, it, Slater's done a really good job with this selection. I, I like the team. I think that he um, has resisted maybe some public and media push for different things to happen, and he's just gone with what he, I think he should have picked. Uh, interesting that the bench is entirely different to New South Wales. So, yeah. you know, this could be where the game is either won or lost for either side, right? Because you've obviously got Ben Hunt there. That's fine. But then you've got three out-and-out front rowers, Lindsay Collins, Mo Fodawaka, and Corey Hillsberg. And they are three big boppers and three guys that do play like Front rowers, you know, certainly all of them you can say are, are almost throwbacks with how they play. They're a quintessential prototype old school front row style and they're big fellas. Lindsay doesn't have huge leg speed or lateral movement for his size. Horsberg's okay. Moe's got good leg drive, but, you know, he's a, he's a big props person. That is so different to the bench that we have. So either they're going to steamroll us and we're going to struggle to contain them for the metres. And on top of that, they're going to get the six against all the penalties and we're going to be in trouble when that packet's on a roll, when that, those bench guys come on when we're tired. All these bench guys are going to come on because some of these uh, big forwards that they've already got starting are going to get carved a little bit and tired and fatigued. And these guys aren't going to be able to keep up with the pace that we're going to set in New South Wales. I could see it going either way, but, geez, it's startling looking at the benches, isn't it? Yeah, well... <laughs> That's the game plan there, isn't it? Obviously, with those benches, it has to be New South Wales are going for a more mobile, throw the ball around a bit more and try and tire out these big Queensland forwards. Other, and as you said, if they don't, then we're in all kinds of trouble because when Collins, Fodawaker and Orsborough come on, you're not losing anything when with Clino and Cotter and Carrigan getting a breather. So how do you think this one's going to pan out? What do you think the result's going to be? How do you think it's going to go? New South Wales fan, you'd like to hope that we can jag one, but it's just, they're going to be hard to beat against Queensland. Very hard not to tip against them. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be an entertaining game. I think that's the number one thing. Oh, I think that it's going to be a really entertaining game, and I think both sides are going to show up, and it's going to be a really good one. And I think being at home, um, and New South Wales are going to be a little bit more desperate. I think they're going to win. And you've also got some of these guys in New South Wales have a point to prove, um, whether it's the the guys that need to keep their jersey, um, guys like Tedesco are under immense pressure. Uh, all the guys that are younger that are getting an opportunity. So certainly guys like Best want to prove why he got picked. Uh, Saifidi wants to prove why he's still up to it. And then you've got some other guys like Mitchell Moses who have gotten a little inkling there that maybe Nathan Cleary doesn't have as big a hold on the on a halves jersey as what we think, or maybe he could even move and they could play two halfbacks. You know, I think that there's a lot to play for for a lot of these guys, whether it's some of the older veterans like Teddy or or Cook or some of the young guys that are getting an opportunity. So I, I do think that that might edge out being in Sydney and some of those guys being in there. I reckon New South Wales by eight points. Yeah, a bit more optimistic than these party, but I'd love to see that. But, um, I'd, yeah, I'm going to say Queensland by two. Queensland by two. I could see that happening. I, I could. I can't. I. I'm finding it hard to split. Um, well, I think the X factor is those those big forwards for me. And if that ends up working, and Queensland's power game comes in, and we can't contain it, that's big problems because I expect 
particularly Munster and DCE, just to carve us up if that happens. And um, and that and that could be something that, that happens. I could see it happening. Let's move along. We have a CBA war looming per se. It has come out, and I'm sure everyone has seen that the Players Association, the RLPA, has said that the players are in support of uh, action based on the fact that a CBA could not get agreed upon still. And that action is going to be a, a media blackout, which is going to mean no interviews and no media whatsoever, no half-time stuff, no full-time stuff, just basically no no media of any sort. And you're not going to see any players talking on the TV, hearing them on the radio or on social media and stuff. Pretty big step. Uh, and it's one that's going to happen right now on the eve of origin as well. So it was pretty out of nowhere. I think I've actually kept up to date with the fact that the CBA has still been ongoing. Uh, I've liked the fact that once the season started, both parties must have come to some sort of agreement just to stay out of the media because it was getting pretty nasty and pretty pretty poor from both sides pre-kickoff, and we haven't seen any of that. But the the bad side of that is that a lot of people, I think, have just thought that it got done or just didn't really pay attention as casual fans when it's actually been negotiated pretty hard still the entire time. So I... I don't like the stand. Uh, I know that the media has their own motives to say it's poor, but look, the media is a mouthpiece to help support your cause uh, and people can say, oh, there's, there's agendas and stuff. There, there certainly is, but it's up to an organisation like the RLPA and certainly the players that are involved with the RLPA to get those agendas changed, to go out there and do stories, to go out there and do media or whatever to get the support for your cause. And the other thing too is that it obviously shortchanges the fans and it's doing it before the only New South Wales game that we're going to get in a State of Origin series in Game 3. The timing of it all is poor. I thought the thought process was pretty bizarre to decide to go down this route. Um, but how do you see this type of stand and this type of action being taken? Yeah, it's just been dragging up for 20 months now. Um, I don't know. It's yeah, poor timing on Origin 3. Very poor timing. I don't really think it helps the players at all by doing this, especially in the fans' eyes. It just helps push the NRL's agenda that they're being greedy and whatever else in the media seems to support the um, NRL more than they do the players so far in this agreement. So I don't, I can see it backfiring on the um, on the committee, to be honest. it's yeah, You'd like to think they've sorted it out by now, but obviously they're, they're pretty staunch and not moving on the side, so I don't know what it's going to come to in the end. Yeah, look, I have to say outright, I, I think both sides have done a poor job. I, I don't want to be seen as biased or anything or, or whatever. No, 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 both sides. Uh, this should have been sorted like 10 months ago. It should have. And if you're a, a large organisation like the NRL, you, as a corporation, as a business, you, you put more stock into this and you get it sorted out because you should have the expertise and professionalism to do it and get it done much earlier. And also the urgency should have been there more than what it has been. Uh, it should have been done. Uh, from the RLPA as well, I think they've handled it terribly as well. I think both sides have. And I, I find it, again, you see this all the time per se, where everyone in Australia especially, we're such a black and white society. It's like, do you think these guys are right or these guys are right? It's so much grey, everyone. It's, it's Both of them can be shit. Both of them have done a poor job. And I, I don't like the NRL-focused stuff that supports the NRL only. And I really don't like the RLPA stuff that supports the RLPA only. And you just seem to get one or the other. I just think they've both done a really poor job. And both of them, uh, I think, 
are pretty naive in that they think that they can come out of this unscathed and they can come out of this with a good reputation. Like the RLPA can turn around and say, the NRL hasn't come to the table. They haven't been able to come to an agreement with us. It's been really dragged out. It's perplexing. It's bad. That's on you as well. Like that's talking to your professionalism and your business acumen as an organisation if the RLPA can't get this sorted. It's both parties and both parties have made some questionable decisions. So I find fault with both, but are you feeling sort of the same way? Yeah, exactly. There's obviously points in it at both sides could have uh, moved on by now and negotiated to a point where they can come to an agreement, but they're just being staunch and not willing to budge one or other, keeping it black and white. So this, this could drag on forever if they don't pull their bloody heads in. So let's talk about how it's, how it's looking at the moment. And I'm very reluctant per se to say, you know, black and white, this is how it is. But I just have to talk to what I've seen in the last 48 hours. I have thought the NRL has looked far better than the RLPA and how they've handled this. So I watched Andrew Abdo uh, with his press conference, with his interview on Fox Sports, and I thought that he spoke very well. I thought that he was very clear. I thought that he was very concise. And I thought that it was... Uh, I, I, I left that interview being finished knowing exactly um, the answers to all the questions from what was asked and from Abdo's perspective in the NRLs. And I thought that he handled it exceptional. Uh, and I'm not even an Abdo fan at all. From the RLPA, I've found the responses as clear as mud and lacking a lot of detail and just throwing some really generic responses out there. And I've even questioned on there, you know, one of the things put out on on social media was um, the NRL has has done this because they have given us an unfair ultimatum, um, which is unacceptable. Uh, They're the ones that have made this happen, not the players. And it's like, well, what was the unfair ultimatum? Like, can you even tell us that? Yeah. Because you're speaking like from this generic, all these generic responses, you're not giving us any detail to get behind you or to actually disagree with the NRL. And at the same time too, I'm going to come off really against the players with this. This isn't against the players. And I have no, no doubt that the RLPA is not 100% representing all players and their interests, okay? So I'm not blaming players for this. I'm just talking blank and RLPA at the moment. I think that the RLPA at best has been really, really ignorant with a lot of their things that they've said and a lot of their requests. But at worst, it is actually withholding information on purpose to create their own narratives. And I'll give an example. They've said things like, we haven't asked for a cent more, okay? What is the context of that? The context of that is that they've actually already gotten a 37% increase in pay, okay? They've already gotten that. Now, if my boss said to me, you can have a 37% increase in pay, I wouldn't ask any more money either. I'd be pretty bloody happy with it, number one. Number two, um, that's their salary, but they can say they haven't asked for any more money, but they have if you look at the fact that what they want, which all of this I agree with, by the way, they want all these different funds, funds for injured players after post-footy, funds for hardship. And the NRL has actually said via Abdo even last night, we're giving you all that. Now, but that is asking for more money per se. So that's fairly disingenuous to me that they're saying we don't want any more money because it's like a, it's like if you're on 60 grand a year as a worker and you go, oh, look, I want 60 grand a year, but instead of 11% super, I want 25% super. 
and your employer going, oh, look, you know, oh, I'm not asking for any more money. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you are. <laughs> it's still a cost to us to pay to the players. So it's, like I said, at worst, it's very naive and very amateur from the RLPA. At, uh, well, at best, I should say. But at worst, it is borderline lying to everyone out there and being very disingenuous with the information and speaking in riddles and not giving any context to it. So it, am I am I alone here on this, Perso? Uh, not at all. I don't recall once Clint Newton ever coming out and detailing all these minor details at the lower end of the what they're after. The only reason you sort of heard about it at the start of the year is Wade Graham was talked quite candidly about it on James Graham's podcast about the different funding they want for the injured players and the the um, retiree players and the lower tier players and the women's comp and all that. You'd never even once come out in detail. Like it's never been made public the detail of what they're after and why the NRL's not giving it to them. They just say, oh, the NRL won't do it for what we want. Yeah, and I mean that's that, that's part of the money side. I mean, the other thing too is that they've um, they have banged on about um, these funds and things. Whereas how they how it's been constructed and, and said to people is that we want these things for players. We have to take care of players, and I hundred percent support them on this. Like it it was really poor of the NRL not to have a hardship fund, not to have medical funds more than what they had, and, and those sort of things. I'm so in support of the players doing that. Hundred percent. But they're saying it now like these are all the big things and the NRL's already said, no, we agree to that. We're giving them the money. And the, and the NRL's been very open and said, the issue is that the RLPA want complete control out of all of it. They just want to be paid the money and to do it themselves. And we've said it's a partnership. We'll do it 50-50. If I was leading the NRL per se, I wouldn't even say it was a partnership. I'd say, okay, we're going to we're gonna recognise all this and, and do it more, but we're the employer we actually need to supply this and make sure that it's administered properly. Because if we have a player um, with post-career concussion symptoms that needs brain surgery or something, and it goes wrong or it isn't administered properly, then the NRL is the one that's going to cop it. No one's going to say boo to the RLPA. So we're in trouble. It's our brand. We're the employer. We're the ones responsible. So I'm doing it. Like, I'll give you all the money you want for this because I think it's something that's important, but we're doing it. And the NRL hasn't even said that. They've said, look, we'll, we'll do it in partnership. And it's going to be independent parties that do it and stuff. But at the end of the day, the RLPA, it's not that they're not getting the funds that they want or the money they want for these funds. It's that they think that they should just be paid this money and be able to go and do it themselves. Now, I, I made the comparison last night. Look, it, these are football players or RLPA players representing football players, some of them with good business acumen. But at the end of the day, Football players can't decide on things like fund management um, and these sort of plans and things that need to be in place and strategic ways to be able to get this all to work properly in the future. They're not economics experts. Um, just the same as you wouldn't expect Andrew Abdo to be able to jump out on the football field and play in Origin 3. You know, it's not his expertise. It's just, it, to me, it is it's pretty ignorant, pretty naive. And some of the responses from the players, and I'm sorry I'm ranting a long time, person. I'm going to give you a big rant on this, but... Mate, like some of the responses have been things like on Twitter. Imagine if your employer didn't pay you all your money. You know, no one else has to do this. And it's like, mate, every you start working at 15, you don't get your super until you're 65. Like (laughs) people do that now. And by the way, I get all my salary, but so do you. What you're not getting is extra benefits. And none of us even get that mostly in the real world. 
So yeah, don't spare me trying to compare yourself to workers and saying workers get paid all their money, but they withhold hours. No, they don't. You get paid your salary and these are all extra benefits that you're wanting. It, it just, it really doesn't sit well with me, the spin that the RLPA is putting on and how non-transparent Clinton Newton is in all of his communications. Oh, I think that's the non-transparency from Clinton Newton is where all the um, injection comes from, from the public. The average person doesn't really know what's going on. So how do you feel about like the, the, the management of the benefits and all these extra things and stuff and the RLPA's grops? Well, it's got to be run by an external body. They can't run it. That's just ridiculous. If that's the, that's the sticking point now, which if the NRLs agree to do all these things, then they should be, <laughs> the agreement should be done. Can't have it players in control of their own sort of management with that stuff. You need the independent doctors and all that, and you need the funding and how it's just like any other industry. You don't get workers' comp money given to you every week. You go and injure yourself and go and sort yourself out. Yeah, and it's a couple of the other sticking points as well that they've they've put out there. Um, so one of them is, and one of the things that I think really is not going to help their cause at all is when they talk about basic employment rights of men and women and they continue to try and take their cake and eat it too, I would say. So the RLPA has several times compared uh, the the way they get paid and their salaries and everything else to that of a, a common Australian worker. Uh, and they've done this in some of the releases as well with the erosion of basic employment rights for, for men and women. Um, but at the same time as well, they release things like Players take risks every time they step on the field. The average career is 40 games and can be over in a second. They aren't the same as regular jobs. You, know, you can't have that and have all the benefits of not being the same as regular jobs, but then want all the benefits of a regular working Joe in Australia. You know, you, you just don't get everything. And I just feel the more that I'm reading up on this and the more that's being released by the RLPA, and by the way, like I'll apologise if I'm wrong on any of this, I fully apologise. But the fact is that it's really hard to decipher what's going on, and that's part of the problem. But perso, I don't think it's going to go down well with working Australian men and women. That you know, the players don't have any rights, and they're being hard done by, and all this other stuff, and that they uh, need to get all the, all these benefits and things, which are more than what everyday working Australians get at a time where. A lot of businesses, like my business, is doing twenty percent of what it did pre pre-COVID and it may never get up to 100% ever again. A lot of cafes and hospitality industries are shut or have changed forever. There's a lot of people that are struggling with interest rates and everything else and players will say, well, we're workers too. Yeah, you are, but your average salary is $380,000 a year. Well, what about the the lower tier guys? Well, the minimum salary is going to go up to 150K under that agreement, which is a high paid person in the real world, especially if you've got a partner who's working as well, then your combined salary is probably going to be around 220000 a year as the lowest paid, you know, it's, you're not going to win the bleeding hearts battle of trying to say that you're the same as other Australians and you've been hard done by. No, not at all. And that goes back to my point about the players, uh, putting a media ban on, I don't, I, that when, when I said it's got the potential to backfire because the average Joe public doesn't want to see that crap. And they're not going to buy the poor, poor me of hard done by caper. But that's where they need to be more transparent with exactly what they are fighting for and what they're not. Because as I said, again, the average footy fan wouldn't have a clue. Let's look at a couple of the things that they are fighting for that I don't like to mention. Um, one of them was that the NRL only recently had to take the trade window off the table. 
because players wouldn't accept the fact that they needed to have a more finite window and when they signed with rival clubs and stuff because fans absolutely hated it. Players stopped that. The RLPA stopped that. The NRL had to make a concession to remove any sort of trade windows or restrictions on when players can move and stuff. That's one. The other one is that the Players Association doesn't want any drug testing done um, after the grand final at all until the, the season kicks off. Now, these are a couple of things that they're not going to really put out there, but if you're being transparent, you know, if there's things that needed to be given per se, if you're a professional athlete, you need to accept that during your career you're going to get drug tested. You know? And, you know, it, there's, this, there's some stuff like this where you just go, you, you, you think that you're fighting for future players and that you're fighting for fans and for the game of rugby league, which has been mentioned. If you're doing that, then concede a trade window. Put it in there. It only affects you a few times in your career when you're signing contracts. Yet these are things that we don't hear about that the RLPA uh, staunchly wants. Yeah, the, the drug testing one's just ridiculous. You know, working in the mines and rail or in any other industry, bus driving, whatever, where you've got to get tested regularly, you, you can't just turn that off at coming into Christmas. <laughs> what if it's just an open window? It's ridiculous. They're, they're at this level because they're professional athletes and that's the, the, the sacrifices you make when you want that job, same as you would if you wanted to be driving dump truck in the mines or anything else. Yeah, exactly right. It's just the another quote from the RLPA. They said the NRL made over 100 unreasonable and unacceptable changes to the proposal. Talking about grey areas, Clint Newton, do a separate treat, tweet, do another media release. Tell us what the 100 changes are. Because, you know, a, a change on a contract proposal could be changing three words, you know, for wording purposes. Like, exactly. honestly, like if you think saying that is going to do anything for you, it's just, it's amateur. It is absolutely amateur. And a couple other things we'll finish up on, but I'm just, I'm exhausted by it per se. I can't imagine how other fans are going to feel as this drags on, but they go out to say the main things that they're looking is that salaries should be raised with the game's revenues and they want to be taken away the rights for players through medical information. That goes into some of the drug testing. Exploiting them, player property, no idea what they're talking about. Control how they spend their money or player funds and benefits. That's trying to take control of all the funding and stuff outside of their salary and pay for things they shouldn't have to. Insurances that don't benefit players. Now, I'm not sure on the insurances that don't benefit players. Again, I don't know what they're referring to because if there's hardship and medical funds for post-career, then that's fine. If it's because they need to pay for their own medical insurance for other stuff, I don't know, dental or whatever, you know, that's always a benefit that other employers, you know, throw in there sometimes, but very, very rarely. Uh, look, that, that's that's the, the press release per se. It's clear as mud. Like, what are all, tell us what are all these things. Don't just say these blanket terms or make these big statements that there's a hundred things that were unacceptable and changed in a proposal from the NRL that made you take action. Tell us what they are. Be very specific because if you have to ask questions, then it's not specific enough. Yeah, exactly. And it's been like that but since this whole thing burned up in January. It's been clear as a bottle of coke. I, um, I, I'm not sure where this goes. Where do you see this actually headed now? <laughs> no idea. It's um, got the potential to blow right up or it's got the potential to fizzle away and be done. I, I have, like I said, this has been going for 20 months, so I've got no idea where this is going to end. I, uh, I would hope to think that this isn't a political thing, but 
the more and more that it drags on, I really just think that it um, it could be very much uh, too much around Clint Newton and too much around the RLPA rather than the people they're meant to represent. And I feel for a lot of players that um, maybe aren't rep- being represented properly or maybe don't agree with all of these things or maybe would give on some of this or maybe just want to play footy, which I'm sure a lot of them want to do. But it does feel like Clint Newton has done a terrible job uh, and I'm just spade a spade. It looks like he's done a terrible job because from what I can see, I can't see much. Um, and it's more and more looking like more of a pissing contest with him in the NRL or the RLPA in the NRL. And I just, I don't think that's good for either party. And I don't think it's representing the players well at all. There's some really good things that the RLPA is asking for. And it's great that they've got them from the NRL. Those fundings and those um, support mechanism mechanisms for players, on top of that, they've gotten more leave, which people don't know about. Their leave has been increased. So for anyone that jokes around, um, players having too much leave and stuff. I always defend that because they have pretty big pre-seasons as well, people need to remember. But they do have more leave than the average person. They, they've got all this leave that's been um, put up now. So they've got even more leave than what they had before. And they've got far more benefits than they've ever had before. And it is a landmark deal. And it is 37% pay increases. So, I mean, you can talk about, oh, we want to be um, kept up with the revenue of the game and stuff. But, you know, look, it's a 37% increase. That's massive. You know, you aren't rugby league. The game is bigger than any one player. It is bigger than all the players. There will always be rugby league players. That's no disrespect to the players per se. But I want to support you so much, players. Just stick to the good stuff that you should be fighting for because I'm in so much support of so much of this. And then I read some of it per se and it's just like, geez, how can I not support the NRL on a few of these points? It's just ridiculous. Yeah, you just want to have it all get sorted out before the semifinals, don't you? It doesn't become that big swinging competition between Newton and the NRL, and who knows what's going to happen there. So, well, I don't even reckon the average player would know the all ins and outs of what the RPA is actually fighting for and for. Well, I, I hope that the players become more vocal and um, and put pressure on the RLPA to get this sorted out in a better fashion. Um, and I do think the NRL has come to the table now. Um, very much agree the NRL hasn't done well before, but at least they seem to be doing the right things. And I haven't, I haven't seen anything that they've done poorly. I've seen a lot of things the RLPA has done poorly recently. So it's very hard to get on, on board with the players. And the players are the ones that I want to get on board with. I love the players. So hopefully it gets itself sorted, but it doesn't look good. Listener's corner per se. Quite, quite an apt one to discuss briefly. Uh, will we see another Super League war? <laughs> you have this sort of stuff happen and you sort of think, well, you know, I never thought we would. And honestly, I don't think we will because the game isn't big enough. Um, the money isn't big enough. Uh, a lot of the Super League stuff was around News Limited thinking they could bring the game to the world and, and all this stuff and whatever. But it's just not big enough. But I tell you what, like if something like this happens and there's a big labour dispute, um, you know, one of the things that can happen is we've sort of seen it almost happen before in the NBA and different things is players like need to get an income. They need to find other jobs. And if you get like a lockout, which happens in American sports all the time, say this ends in a lockout in the in the preseason and some smart billionaire goes, you know what, I'm going to start a rugby league competition for 12 rounds. You could see that getting up under the right circumstances, but I, I can't see anything sort of long-term happening. But it is funny to think about the Super League war now, considering we're on the precipice of um, potential strike action. Yeah, I can't ever see a Super League coming again. Who's got the money to... <laughs> To come in and find it, 
that's the biggest thing. Back when Super League came in, there was no money in rugby league, still semi-professional. And then it's when usually would have came in throwing all this coin around and but we can go into that for hours about the details of what happened with that, but it was a totally different sort of circumstance to now. But um depends how long this the shutout was, I suppose. You could see like a little Rebel Sevens competition or something, or maybe players jump over to rugby, but yeah, the over doesn't come to anywhere near that. But as far as another super league ball goes, no, I can't say that happening. No, I just don't see the benefit for anyone, really. Um, and if, I, even with the Super League War, I think that Rebo and the, all the Super League cronies conceded sort of by the end of it that you needed everybody, didn't you? Like, you couldn't do it with a handful of clubs, and you certainly couldn't do it with a handful of players. We ended up with a lot of defunct clubs, like the Hunter Mariners and the Crushers and the Perth Reds. So they just they couldn't, they, we didn't have the players for it really at the time. But if a war happened, they really would need to sort of get almost everyone, wouldn't they? Yeah, and that's where it sort of failed with Super League. I think they underestimated. They thought they'd just throw this money around and all the star players would jump over to Super League, which they didn't. They sort of half of them did, and then the NRL sort of matched money, and that's where that sort of fell away in the end. Interesting history of the game, though. Like, I mean, I remember at the time with the Super League war, it was like, wow, this is like... At first, I just thought it was a joke. And then it was like, well, maybe it's not a joke, but it's never going to happen. And then it was like, wow, this is happening. It was just, it was pretty crazy times. And at the time it was like, you're worried about the game of rugby league. But now in a historical manner, it's very fascinating and quite entertaining to go through it all, isn't it? It's like it's it's like a Hollywood movie that you couldn't write. Yeah, it's a spare story. <laughs> and people probably don't realise either that the younger people, it's um, dragged on for three years too. Wasn't just the one season they actually had of Super League. This went on for two seasons before they had that one season. And you also had um, someone like Gordon Tallis sit out a year. You know, we talk about player contracts and stuff. Now he references that he sat out a year. It was, yeah. it was basically because of Super League. That's right. He was with the Dragons and he signed with the Broncos and the Broncos of Super League and he signed with Super League. So those are the two things. They had a contract with either the Super League or the ARL and then the club that they were playing for. So the Bulldogs at the time went with the... Um, Went with Super League and there was quite a few big-name players at the Dogs that didn't and Parramatta ended up picking them up, the Smith brothers, etc. So it was a bit of a crazy time. You never used to have all this player movement as much in those days. All of a sudden, there's players going everywhere and clubs popping up here and there. And Newcastle's staunch NRL and Knights and then they throw a, a Super League team and the Mariners in there playing out of a dog track. And <laughs> it was, yeah, It's a fair bit of history. It's interesting for people that mightn't have been old enough or weren't born even around then to do a bit of research around it. Channel 9 always does, like, you know, the whole, you know, the, the cricket stuff and the warnings and everything, and they need to do a Super League one, don't they? Surely Channel 9 could put together oh, be a great feeling. Super League miniseries. It would be fantastic. And you can think about who you get to play Gus Gould and, and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be value. They did it with the, uh, yeah, as you said, they did it with the, um, the cricket, didn't they? Did a series that was quite good. It'd be interesting to see them do it with a footy. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't thought about it because I mean, the cricket one was good and like the, the whole packet thing. They, 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 it was quite entertaining. Like even if people didn't like it, like it was pretty entertaining. It's a pretty entertaining story and stuff. And you always like to go back into history and stuff and look at that in sport. I'm really surprised that they haven't looked at a a, a rugby league one. And really, you know, it got me yeah, thinking there hasn't there hasn't been much rugby league as far as film or series done. There's very few to choose from. Yeah, that's right. Especially when you listen to, to like a lot of the players that were involved at that time, all the, the cloak and daggers and secret bus trips and all kinds of things in the middle of the night that was going on. You could definitely make a series out of it, sure. 
don't say that I don't give you any ideas, media, okay? Channel nine, you know, <laughs> everything. Netflix, anyone from Netflix listening, get get a series going for Australia. Look, let's move on to the spray of the week. I feel like I've already done it uh, with the CBA war, but you know, I, I think that I equally said both of them are pretty shit in what they've done. So um, this spray, I'm going to say it's it's all on one person. It's Graham Ennisley. I cannot believe I, I've already been pretty staunch about some of the poor adjudication and official and refereeing decisions that have occurred throughout this season and how it's just happening time and time again. And it seems to be being swept under the rug a little bit in the coverage. Annesley has come out and just absolutely gone bang on everybody that's been critical. So specifically the day of Fafita try, no try. He's come out and said that the amount of derogatory comment publicly about this decision has been off kilter to what actually happened. You would think that the decision was the biggest injustice ever. Um, heard things like diabolical, Titans were dudded, unbelievable, worst call of the year, uh, and all this other stuff. Um, he's then gone on to say, he's basically just gone on to say that he's just smashed the media and smashed fans that have been critical of this. I cannot believe that he has taken this stance. And for me, this was when it was basically the end of Graham Ennisley for me. He absolutely has to go for the game to move forward and to improve. I do not believe that anything can improve under someone who takes that Fafita criticism, looks at it and says, it's definitely a Fafita no try and everyone's an idiot and silly for being outraged about it. That Fafita try on the weekend that was put up as a no try after it was being reviewed is up there with the worst calls this year. It was horrendous. Probably the only thing worse was the Asafa Solomona try, and I didn't see him blow up about that one. But I tell you what, the Fafita one, you're watching the game per se, and we talk about these rules and how the officials are getting confused, but they're also over, overruling and like looking at stuff too much sometimes. Fafita's running for the ball. Uh, we have Fogarty stepping his way with his back to him and not really go for the ball at all. And Fafita barely touches him as he brushes past him. He sort of steps around him and he brushes him and gets the ball and scores. Now, if Fogarty wants to dive on that ball, he can. He never wanted to. And yet Fafita, for, for touching Fogarty, who went and stood in front of him while he's running towards the ball to score a try, that it's, it, it's absolutely ludicrous that that was a no try. Absolutely ludicrous. And then we also have... It's the same weekend we have the Sofa Solomona try where we've seen a dozen of those pulled up as a double movement this year where a hand's on somebody and the ball arms hit the ground and they can't promote it. But then when he's gone to promote it, he's knocked it on anyway. It's It was just farcical. I said, I thought both of them were absolute howlers. I honestly did. Did you not feel that those were terrible decisions per se? Do you think that Annesley is really out of line with his criticism and how he's handled this? <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. They were both howlers. Absolute hairless. The Fafita, like, he didn't even push him out of the way. He tried his best to get out of the way and barely rushed him. It's like, like you're going for the ball, and uh, there's just absolutely no common sense at all. And the, you know, the NAS one, I don't know what they were thinking there. There was a similar one the other week, actually, where there was a knock on over the line. They didn't even look at it. I think it was two weeks ago. But anyway, honestly, just, I don't think he's ever come out at all this year with any of the bad decisions and said the referee's got it wrong, has he? He said a few, but like, it's. Very, very few. Yeah, nowhere near as many as what there has been. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's probably his time for change. I know I get his back and his refs and all the rest of it, but when there's blatant ones like that, you've got to come out and do the right thing. Well, to me, it's that sort of attitude that he's shown isn't going to stop it, and that's my biggest concern, right? You you want to know and have some confidence that that NAS decision or that Fafita decision isn't going to continue to happen. But we've seen it all year, inadvertently it does. Those sort of decisions do happen. Those ones were absolute howlers, but we have seen some other howlers this year. It, those decisions are going to keep happening if the guy who's in charge of it says there's nothing wrong with it and leave my referees alone, you're all idiots and you're all just being negative or criticising. You know, That's not going to send the right message and it's not going to fix anything. No, well, that's, that's the other point, isn't it? So if you firmly believe that the feeder trial wasn't no trial, instead of berating the media and the fans, come out and explain why it was no trial. Yeah, and look, if he thinks that it's a no trial and he wants to explain it, I would love to see that the referees, honestly, under his watch, has gone out and looked at rule books and the NRL's tweet changes and made different rules and whatever for what they think benefits the game. But you have someone like Vlandy say it's all for the fans. It's to make it entertaining. We're in an entertainment business and all this other stuff. If it's all for the fans, don't make changes that the fans don't want and don't call the game in manners that the fans don't want. Fans want that for FIDA to be a try. They want the Asafa Solomona one not to be a try. And they want football to be refereed like a football match, right? And we're not getting that. Yeah, again, it comes down to common sense. It just goes out the window completely all of the time. And credit to the ref- on-field referees half the time. They're doing it right. Then you, you see this bunker come in and get it wrong. Yeah, and I mean, like, honestly mentioned that too in his big tirade. He said, who would want to be a referee? And it's like, well... Probably not many, but like a lot of the reasons I wouldn't want to be a referee is because of the support I have from my employer. Like all the people around me, I've got two touch judges that don't do anything and a bunker that overrules me for clear, correct decisions. <laughs> what? Let's let's talk about that for referees at the moment. If you're an NRL referee, yeah, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And then the bunker stuff, like yeah, you know, who would want to be in the bunker? Well, look. You know, it's it's certainly a results-driven business. It isn't like making hamburgers where if you leave the cheese off once or twice, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, it, it kind of matters. If you're going to make more errors than what you should each week and if the margin of error is so large, and that's the biggest thing for me, like if something's a howler, it's just too big a margin of error to have in a professional sport, right? Like that's the sort of stuff that we should be avoiding. We should be seeing little ones and maybe once a year we see a howler. You'd think so, but it seems to be almost weekly. Let's go to the legendary one, Perso. One certainly for you. Wayne Pierce, Junior. Why don't you take us away? Wayne Pierce memories. Uh, one of my favourite players growing up, and a Tigers fan, and a New South Wales and Australian fan. Um, he was just the original worker, or something. 192 games for the Mighty Tigers. A uh, couple of kangaroo series, 16 tests for Australia, 15 origins. One of the first picked there for a, a period of time. It's the first of those sort of really workhorse locks at that era, the full-time professional sort of athlete type player, even though he's quite small in today's standards. I think um, Mitchell's bigger than him, actually, <laughs> which is how much the game's changed from back in those days. But he's just um, one of those guys of just in everything. He's just always diving on loose balls. He's, Tackling, he, he can run, he can offload. You go up the middle, would take the tough carries. He could run on the edge. The players in the gaps, he's, he's that sort of guy. 
Yeah, I think for me it was um, almost revolutionary the sort of player that he was. Like he was, he was like one of those big workhorses. But um, back in those days, like, it'll sound funny to say he was a non-smoker, non-drinker. Like everyone knows that you don't smoke if you're a professional athlete. Back in those days, plenty did. That was, <laughs> was plenty <odd>. smoking, <laughs> and uh, being a non-drinker was unheard of. Um, non-drinker, non-smoker, and he just had this strict adherence to his exercise regime and his diet. It was like a modern, like a, you know, a 2000s or even, you know, really a 2010s take, um, the last decade take on sports science really and how you exercise and prepare your body for professional sport and for rugby league. He was doing that in the 80s by himself. You know, you have a look at how fit he was. It was incredible. No one was as fit as Wayne Pierce was and no one had the training regimes or diet that he had. He was multiple decades ahead of his time as far as that goes. That's probably one of the biggest things I remember with an 88-kilo frame for him to be able to play like he did uh, at the endurance that he had and to make all the tackles that he did. It, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, he was certainly a player ahead of his time with that sort of mentality. <laughs> he would have got bloody in that era through the 80s not drinking, that's for sure. Oh, the bonding sessions would have been super interesting. Would have been very entertaining <laughs> for him by the end of them. But, you know, <laughs> he um he did have some big accolades as well. Like, when you have a look at it, he wasn't just a worker. He got the Rothens medal in 1985, Kangaroo Tours, like you said. Grand final appearances in 88, 89, Heartbreaker in 89. That's probably one that you remember very well, Purser. Yeah. <laughs> Still one of the best guys of footy, obviously. But, yeah, it was a hard watch at the time. Lock of the Year, 87-88, Rugby League Hall of Fame, 277 first-class first games. Uh, a lot of people will look at it and go, well, yeah, he played for Australia a lot, um, but he actually came through at a time when Ray, Ray Price was always going to be the, the Australian lock. You know, Ray Price is an outstanding player of the past that people should look up as well. Ray Price was amazing, and Pierce was that good that they had to fit him in the side. I think he actually moved into the second row for a little bit as well. Um, and then when Ray Price retired a couple of years later, he ended up going back into lock. But he, he captained New South Wales too for the first clean sweep of Queensland. So how times have changed now, we might be getting clean swept this year. But he in 1986, New South Wales 3, Queensland 0, and he actually won 10 out of his 15 origin games for New South Wales, which is pretty massive. That would have to be one of the better records going around. And talking to some of his teammates as well, it probably gives a lot of it away. Um, he, tremendous amount of respect for Junior. Uh, and guys like Steve Roach will often say he was the toughest guy I ever saw. And when you're thinking about a guy that's, you know, six foot and 88 kilos, and you've got these big hulking front rowers saying he's the toughest guy I've ever seen, uh, it's, it's a pretty remarkable and also exceptional um, accolade and tribute to the sort of player that he was as well. Uh, but you talk to any players and they all speak about Junior glowingly, don't they? Yeah, you know, he's one of those guys that you never hear a bad word about of. He, as you said, he was clean off the field and clean on the field too. He never got sent in or sent off. It's um, exactly what you want out of your captain, I guess. So what were the... Have you got any big games to finish on that you remember him by? Not really. He was, just, he was one of those most consistent guys. He never really sort of had a standout game. Well, he's not a try scorer or anything like that, but he just, every time you saw him play, he knew what you were going to get out of junior. He was just in everything, leading the team around the park from lock. He always had a good offload away. And he'd, he'd been the thick of everything. Yeah, I think it was, it, it was, to me, he was also a real leader. 
and that's probably a good finishing point for him. He was a, a great leader, and you can see that by the way people uh, speak about him, the way the players respected him. Uh, and also, even though everyone didn't jump on his work regime, <laughs> you know, some of them I'm sure hassled him a lot about it at the time, and you see some still laugh about it now. Um, that drives success from within as well. It sort of sets a standard, doesn't it? Um, and it might sound stupid, but, you know, someone that might might be wanting to have 20 drinks, you know, before a game might only have a few beers instead, you know, four or five. And back in those days, you know, that was probably influenced in large part those little things by junior peers. Uh, so, yeah, full credit to Wayne Pierce. He was a fantastic player. And one of those guys that didn't have the skills or anything, but the thing that I most respected about him per se to finish off on Wayne Pierce, I respect the fact that, and he's admitted this, so it's it's not really saying anything bad about him, but I respect the fact that he wasn't this exceptionally talented or skillful footballer. And the only way that he was going to succeed was by putting in work uh, because he didn't have the natural ability of other players. He wasn't skilled or fast or all these other things. And he, so the fact that he not only played NRL, but he got to play for Australia, play for New South Wales, captain Balmain, go to an NRL grand finals. It's outstanding for someone at the level of ability that he had on a football field, how much work he put in to make sure that he could be that good a player. And sometimes to me, and I'll be saying this to my kids as they get older, because it's one of the, I think the best advice I could give myself when I was a youngster is that there's just no substitute, no skill that you can have that's a substitute for hard work. If you've got the hard work, you can succeed, right? Yeah, that's it. Hard work and effort and you're halfway there, aren't you? Well, it was certainly all that. Perso, it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast. There's a lot of things to talk about. I appreciate you jumping on and having a yarn with me about footy once again. Always a pleasure. Always good to jump on, Barzy. It'd be a bit of an interesting round this weekend, even though it's a ball round, but see if a few teams can bounce back. But your Tigers tonight, mate. So, you know, <laughs> fingers crossed for you. I'll be thinking about you at 8 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be watching the back of my eyelids by 8.15, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck regardless, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Amazon, everywhere. Also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Jump on our fantastic partner, Picklebet, picklebet.com. Use the referral or affiliate code, as they call it, on the website. All stars are one word when you sign up. That way they'll know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. Enjoy the round of footy that's about to kick off. Enjoy Origin next Wednesday. Can't wait to chat all about it again and more rugby league real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get 